where are we going to dig now? What, mm. like, where dig this thing up now? Mm. And sometimes, like, sometimes roots grow into your house and the foundation, mm. and you got to dig them up and pull them out and, and let them go. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back. I'm so happy you're here for another episode. I have an awesome guest today. It's somebody who's been in my life for a while and I gain so much wisdom with every single conversation. So to sit down with her and to really dig in, it's so funny how you can know people, but when you get this solid, beautiful hour of questions and connection, it's like you unearth so much awesomeness. So that's exactly what you are about to be let in on today. And before we do that, I want you to head over to theblissproject.info and check it out. Because if you're ready for a total immersion event, like if you are like, all right, here's the deal. I want my life to change this year, but I just am completely overwhelmed and don't know what to do. Girl, go immerse yourself for the weekend because that's how I changed my life. It's the only reason I pour so much blood, sweat, and tears into this event is because these are the exact tools and types of weekends that have changed my entire life. So head over there right now and grab your ticket because I'm telling you it's going to sell out and it's going to be really fast. So theblissproject.info, 500 amazing women. Don't get intimidated because if you are intimidated, that means that you get the opportunity to grow the most and it's the perfect spot for you. And if you're excited, well, then you're one of my favorite people because that's so much fun too to have you there. So whoever you are, you guys, we all need each other. We all need each other and we all need this work. I need this work all of the time. I book all of my events at the beginning of the year that I'm going to do and I actually still have yet to book some of my events. So I need this total immersion as well every single year, at least three times a year. So head over there right now and make this one of your events that you go to. So my guest today is the amazing Tracy O'Malley. She is a sought after master transformation coach. She is a serious powerhouse entrepreneur. She's a keynote speaker where I have watched her speak in front of like 15,000 people and rock everyone's world. She's an author and she has truly inspired people from all walks of life. She's the queen of tough love and transformation. She's facilitated soul breakthroughs and truly sustainable changes. With Tracy's coaching, you will tackle limiting beliefs, uncover hidden blind spots, navigate tough transitions, and create shifts that result in emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial freedom. And her story is one of the most beautiful stories of comebacks. So if you have any question, if it's possible to continue coming back from rock bottoms, not one, two, three, (laughs) to continue coming back from rock bottoms and become even better, 
This is exactly what you want to listen to, to hear how to be better on the other side of all of the things that knock you down. We're going to break habits. We're going to break patterns. We're going to talk about addiction. So let's get started. Tracy, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to actually just be talking to you today, but to also have this recorded for everybody else. (laughs) I am so pumped for this. It's a beautiful way to start off the new year for sure. I know we were just talking about how this is kind of my re-entry. So it's like the best. I've had a a couple, uh, you're my second podcast with like amazing women. I was like, how did I, I didn't even like really set this up this way, but it was the perfect day. It's like the universe was looking out for me. So There you go. So I'm so grateful to start it with you because I think that this is going to be such a beautiful conversation for where people are at right now, because every single year, I feel like people kind of find themselves repeating that same New Year's pattern and then finding themselves in the same uh, situation of maybe not fulfilling what they want to fulfill or becoming the person they want to become, changing their environment, all of the things. So first of all, before we even jump into any of that, I just want to share who you are with everybody. And I'm always, whenever you open your mouth, no no stress or pressure, <laughs> but I, but I always learn something or feel so moved because of how authentically you share. So I'm just so grateful for you in the world and I'm just happy to be on this conversation. So I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself with everyone who has not gotten the honor of meeting you yet. Okay. Do you want the short version? No, we got time. We got an hour, girlfriend. Okay, girl. (laughs) So I was born and raised in the Midwest. Chicago. I know you're a Midwest girl too. And yes. there's just something about it. I mean, we we are born with work ethic and like rooted values for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, however, something that also came from that, I'm Irish too. So we've got the Irish thing too. We're a passionate, mm-hmm. hand quotes, passionate bunch, prideful bunch. And I grew up the oldest and in a family with a very high functioning alcoholic. That was my dad. My mom was the codependent, check out emotionally, couldn't even handle it. So there I was. I remember as early as four, kind of self-proclaiming my role as the peacemaker. Mm. Okay. And so from that moment forward, you know, I had a younger sister that I was taking care of. I was making sure dad didn't burn down the house when he passed Mm. out drunk. I was making sure mom got out of bed to at least greet dad so he wouldn't be upset. And all the while, trying to be this perfect kid to not make waves. And I went on to excel in sports, in school, in anything I did, Mm. because the last thing I wanted to do was make any waves and upset my dad. Mm. Uh, Went on to college and met a guy who was from Arizona. And he had a family that was so everything I wanted. Mm. Looking back, I can see this. At the time, I thought it was all about him. but looking back now, 28 years later, I can see that I was attracted to the mother that he had, Mm. the dynamic of a family that I was so crazy craving. Mm. And so made the decision to uproot myself to Arizona and run away from that because I thought that that would help me deal with things. And married at 21. And like a good Irish girl does have back-to-back babies. Mm. And The Irish twin thing is what I did, which (laughs) is great. And I thought, okay, 
wipe my hands of the past. I'm just going to move into mom mode. I'm going to be everything that my parents weren't. I'm going to be that that perfect parent. And my kids are never going to have to be perfect or perform or any of those things. Was married to a guy who was the opposite of everything I knew. And it was fine. You know, it was fine. But it was, there was always something missing. And then my daughter turned four. Hmm. So I was 28 years old and she turned four. And it's when my first memory came. Oh, wow. Like a memory, memory that I had stuffed so far down. And I had this internal rage at my parents, at everyone. And I knew very quickly that if I didn't make some changes, I was going to burn the whole house down Mm. and take everything in its path with me. So it was when my first dive into like, okay, where did all this come from came in? And I started unpacking a lot of things. It took another 12 years for me to get it right. (laughs) I spent 12 years floundering, manipulating, saying all the right things, but not taking the correct action and not really willing to do the deep dive. Um, about 10 years into the marriage, doing this work really started to affect things. Cause he was like the fixer. And when I was like, I don't need your fixing. I'm going to do this myself. It kind of changed the whole dynamic of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Obviously it always takes two to break down a marriage. And my part was that. And so we owned a business together, divorced, uh, when the kids were nine and 10 and continued to work together, which was a nightmare. Uh, I don't <laughs> yeah, recommend that. I can't imagine. And then the recession hit at the mm. same time. So 85% of our business walked away overnight without a warning. And so I had to make the decision, either I rebuild a business with him or I go into corporate America. And even during a recession, um, I was in the car business and I was really highly sought after. So I had three job offers, even in a recession. But corporate America, to me, was like a death sentence, to be honest. Um, I'm emotionally unemployable. and But I had to do what I had to do. Um, I was not receiving child support at that time. So I was like the emotional, spiritual, and financial provider of the kids. And so I went into the corporate end of the car business, and I felt like I was in prison. Mm. But but I had to do what I had to do. You know, the to be a girl in the car industry is pretty rough. You have to have really tough skin and the ratio is about a thousand to one. And although there are some really great people in the car industry, it's not the most integrity filled place to be in every day. And if you don't beat them, sometimes you just got to join them. And I was scolded for not using my expense account enough. So that's when my alcohol issue really took a front seat. Mm. And I was piggybacking that with a very active eating disorder on top of it. Mm. So it was like, I was imploding. I was like this volcano ready to erupt. And I had just turned like 38 when I started that. I was like, seriously, I've got a lot of life to live. And if this is all it's going to be, I'm just going to be angry all the time. And I was watching my kids. They were about 14 and 15 at the time. And I saw them start to cope like I was. Mm. And it scared me tremendously because I knew what their future was if they kept coping like that. You know, my daughter, she's kind of like this free spirit, kind of just runs from issues and will just be busy and be around people. My son was manifesting his anxiety in physical ways and in um, substance ways. Mm. And I was like, I don't want that for either one of them. I don't want that for either one of them. But what do I do? Mm. What do I do when I'm in the middle of this, that I have to do this? And I know there's stuff I need to work on. I don't know how to do it. I'm drinking all the time. I'm, of course, in a relationship that's a high-functioning alcoholic, which is like the picture of my father. Mm. And in the middle of all that, I get a call. 
from my dad. I had just gone into um, AA for the first time. I was like, I need help. So I was about three weeks into AA when I got a call from my dad saying that um, he had just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm. And it was untreatable at the level it was at. They had given him three weeks to three months to live. And 12 days later, he was gone. Mm. So I had just turned 40. The kids were 14 and 15. That that saying life is too short really was like an insult because it really was. It was 12 Mm. freaking days. Mm. And I knew that it now was the time to make some changes. And I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I knew I needed to wipe out the hard drive of my entire existence Mm. in my mind, my body, my soul, because obviously what I was doing was not working. Mm. And I was repeating the patterns I grew up with. And, you know, even though I wanted something so different for my life, I realized that the pathology that I was born with and was born into was dictating what I was doing. You know, we Mm. do what we were taught, shown, modeled, and spoken to. We do that, even if we don't want that, unless we go back and change the pathology of it. So it was at that time I was like, okay, I'm going to clean house of anything and everything that doesn't support the vision. So pretty much the only thing that made the cut was my kids. Mm. And I decided to walk into my boss's office. He was grooming me to run the place, which is the last thing I wanted. And I walked in and I said, listen, I'm going to pack up my desk and I'm going to quietly go. And... I'm not coming back because if I stay here, I will die. Mm. Thank thank you for pouring so much belief into me. He was an amazing person to pour so much belief into me. And, and I couldn't even believe it because I was a hot mess and love and just everything. And I said, but I'm going to go and I'm going to go quietly. So I packed up my desk and left. And that night I sat the kids down and said, I was going to go into rehab um, to really get my shit together. Mm. And my son, who was only 14 at the time, mind you, he was coping just like I was. He said, mom, I'm going to give you up for 30 days to have you the rest of my life. Oh, wow. So I was like, okay. I mean, what a brave young man mm-hmm. to say that. And so I was like, oh, I'm, I got to take this serious. I mean, this kid just laid it out there for me. <laughs> um, I'm not going to let him down. And if, <laughs> But I also knew the statistics because when I got to rehab the first day, I heard them. And it's really, I mean, this is why I'm so passionate about recovery because only 2% of us ever stay sober the rest of our life. Wow. Those aren't really great odds. And we hear about all the horror stories and nobody ever talks about how good recovery can be. And so my first day in rehab, I heard those statistics and I was looking around the room. I was in the room about 15 people and I was doing the math. I was working the numbers in my head. And the very first thing I spoke out loud to that entire room of women that were to be my roommates for the next 30 days was, I apologize to all of you because none of you are going to make it because I am the 2%. Mm. Mm. And I went into rehab, not just for the alcohol. I was like, okay, if I don't address the eating disorder thing, because honestly, that had a stronger hold on me than the alcohol. If I don't put all the cards on the table, I'm going to keep this one in my back pocket. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it was the first time I ever spoke about my eating disorders as well and the alcohol and a lot of other stuff. And for the next six and a half years, I have been diligent about putting that first. Um, Mm -hmm. Sadly, I was correct. I mean, within 18 months, the roommate that I had in rehab died of an alcohol overdose. 
every single person, I don't know the rest of them, but I know they all went out and relapsed. I'm sure some of them didn't make it. So that was like the beginnings of like what I was doing today. I wiped my entire social network out to change my playmates. I wiped my own personal hard drive out and I was left with this plain, clean slate. And now it was rebuilding, rebuilding the pathology, rebuilding my own biography and learning new tools to reparent myself because I couldn't change who my parents were. I couldn't change the things that had happened to me as a child. I couldn't change any of that, but I could go back and change the belief system that was birthed in those experiences. Mm. And so that's when it started. When I turned 40 is when that whole rebuild process started to happen. Mm. Wow. So I've gotten to see you on the other side of all of this, which has been amazing. So to know your story and to be able to hear you and also I've heard you on amazing stages and just every every single time I get to hear your story, it's just, it's such a beautiful uh, reminder of what's possible. And mm-hmm. now you are in this work of helping other people do this. Do you think that's been a huge, like, was that always meant to happen? What's What answers have come to you around that? There are three things that come to mind. So when I was nine years old, You know, everybody used to say, I remember hearing, thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. I remember (laughs) hearing that. And I had the opposite. I would have tremendous Mm. anxiety and panic attacks around Friday because that was when my dad would drink a little heavier. Mom would get involved in it and it would be a a shit show. Mm. And so on Sundays were my favorite day because it was kind of like when the dust would settle and the wreckage would settle. Mm. And I remember getting on my bike And I lived in this small town outside of Chicago and I would get on my bike and I don't know what was driving this, but I I kept hearing this voice inside of me at nine years old saying, there's something much bigger than you, Tracy. Mm. There's something much bigger than you go seek it out. And so I would get on my bike and I would ride to wherever I could to any church that was close by. I didn't know. I wasn't raised in church. I mean, even though I'm an Irish Catholic you know, we were the EC Catholics, like the the Easter tr- uh, Christmas Catholics. <laughs> yeah. And my dad was so heavily forced into it that he was not going to do it for us. But I would get on my bike and start riding to any church. I don't know why, but I did. And I will never forget one rainy, rainy day on a Sunday morning. Like if this happened today, like children's protective services would probably be called <laughs> yeah. a little nine-year-old rolling up to a church like a drowned rat. And I'll never forget this. It was a Baptist church. And I walked down the, the stairs into this room and it was like the whole room parted and there was this big light shining down. And this guy said, what are you doing here? Mm. And I said, I have no idea. Mm. And he handed me my first Bible. So that happened. And so I was like, okay, I know there's something bigger than me. Mm. And then when I was 12, which was the heat of when my parents craziness. Like from the time I was 10 till 18, my parents was such a volatile situation. And I was 12 years old and I would always have the TV on getting ready for school. And I remember there was a TV show called AM Chicago and I was 12, which is just a god awful age anyway. <laughs> you know, the junior <laughs> high. Age. It's like 12 was bad for me. <laughs> oh, it was just uh, horrible. But I would listen to AM Chicago and I was getting ready for school. And I remember hearing this woman and I just, her laugh was infectious. I was like, what is that? Who is this? And I would look at her and I was like, wow, like that didn't quite fit what I thought I would be seeing. And it was this beautiful black woman. I thought she was beautiful with this big Afro and she just lit up the entire place. 
And it turned out it was Oprah Winfrey. Mm. So like the Chicagoans got to know Oprah before she was Oprah. Mm -hmm. And two years later, when I was 14 is when the syndicated show Oprah, the Oprah Winfrey show came out and I would record it every day Mm. and watch it. I can't, there was something about her I was so drawn to. And, and this was long before she talked about the stuff. But when I was 14 and I caught one of the episodes and it was the first time she started to talk about her abuse. Hmm. And all of a sudden it hit me. Like my pain was not going to be for nothing. Hmm. If she could endure that and make it through to the other side and bless others with her pain and her story and her work that she's done to get through it then I will too. And, and at that moment at 14 years old, I'm like, this will not be for nothing. Mm. What I'm enduring and, and fighting through will not be for anything. And it was like, okay, okay, I can do this. But the real like connection came like doing this work and how powerful our words can be as mm. parents. I mean, I know you've grown up and you've talked about like how you grew up and mm-hmm. you've written about it. Like mm-hmm. it's, everything. Mm -hmm. It's everything. And there was a story told about the day I was born. And if you knew my dad, I know our audience is a little bit younger than me, but my dad was like the modern day Archie Bunker, like a zero filter, very crass, like does just says it. And the day I was born. So mind you, this was at a time when the men were in the room when the kids were Mm -hmm. born. Yeah. And he, and he was chain smoking in the waiting (laughs) room in the hospital. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Early seventies. So mind you, but my mom had been in 30 something hours of labor. Mm. Right. And the doctor comes out, I'm born. And the doctor comes out to tell my dad, he's got a daughter. Mm. And without hesitation, my dad said, you know what? Keep them both. I don't want them. Mm. And he was joking. However, and obviously the day I was born, I didn't hear that story. However, I heard that story told over and over and over with a lot of laughter at my expense at three, four, five, six, Mm. seven. And the thing we don't understand as adults is children take words so literally. Yes. And at that moment when I heard that story and and I was like, what do you mean you didn't want me? Mm. Like, I'm not good enough. I am am not worthy. I'm going to have to be perfect in order to gain your love because you didn't even want me to begin with. Mm. So short of having a penis, which that wasn't going to happen, (laughs) <laughs> I stepped in I stepped into my masculine energy. I was the perfectionist overachieving. Like this is the only way I'm going to get any kind of approval. Mm-hmm. I knew every lineup of the sports teams of Chicago. I could wow. open beer bottles at three years old. <laughs> Anything to please my dad and fit into that role of what a boy would do. Mm-hmm. And it just got very confusing. So that belief system that was born from that one sentence was, I am not good enough. I am not worthy of love unless I'm the absolute best, perfect person. And that carried (laughs) that, that whole belief system. Then you start seeking it out. Mm. Right. So Mm -hmm. I start seeking out the truth that I'm not good enough. So that would put me in relationships that were pretty toxic environments that weren't healthy for me, sabotaging anything that was good in my life um, because I wasn't worthy of it. And so those are the things like Today, I'm so passionate about the work, you know, knowing that there's something bigger than us, mm-hmm. knowing that your pain has a reason for it. It doesn't, it's not your purpose. Cause if you think your pain's your purpose, you're going to keep seeking out pain, Right. but the pain is for a reason mm. and it's your job to overcome it. And then obviously 
you know, reparenting my, my little T that lives inside of me because mm. little T was driving the bus from that moment. She heard that story up until 40 years old. She was seeking out and sabotaging anything that was good because she didn't feel worthy of it. Mm. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing that. And there were, there's so many key things that you said and so many beautiful things, especially the reparenting, um, which has been such a powerful thing for me in my life, like becoming your own parent, like changing that voice out in your head. So this brings us to really talking about what you, the, the word that kept coming up, which I'd love for you to explain more to people, the, just the pathology and the undoing of what was done, because that's pretty much what we are now. Once you have the realization and the self-awareness, it's like, oh my God, how do I undo all of this in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming, scary, traumatizing? Is it really possible? Yeah, it's, it is scary. I'm not going to lie. There, there is nothing fun about this process except on the other side of it to know that you have this beautiful gift. It is a gift to go back and do it. The definition of pathology is the science of cause and effect of disease, disease, specifically in samples, tissues, and cells. Like that's the medical term of pathology, which also means our blood, which means our bloodline, which wow. means our family line, right? And, you know, really understanding that, you know, and looking at my life and anybody I've worked with their life, like those patterns get repeated. They may show up with different wrapping paper all over them, but it's the same package, mm-hmm. right? And so when I, I knew that I couldn't change the past, I knew that in order for this shit to stop with me and not pass it on to my children, I was going to have to learn to redo this. And, you know, when I really took a hard look at what I had been doing when little T was rocking the boat for those 40 something years, I would do the same thing that was done to her. I would say, you're better seen than heard. Shut the F up. Mm. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Like those were the words that were pounded into my head. Who do you think you are? Mm. And when I realized that, it was my job to heal her. I brought her to the forefront. Mm. In fact, I put her, she's my lock screen on my phone. So every time I feel like the, I'm not good enough creep in, I just tap my screen and there's little T looking at me mm. at four years old to remind me that she's just scared. She's got these words in her head that she believes. And I literally have out loud conversations with her and I invite her to the table and I sit her on my lap and I'm like, listen, I got you little girl. Like imagine looking at your own little self and pouring love and belief into her Mm -hmm. because she didn't get that. I know you didn't get that. You know, I got the opposite of that. And so the the chance to really look in your own little face and do it Mm. is so freaking powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to have it like on your lock screen because our phone's always with us and things will trigger us throughout the day. We're like, little T's going alert, alert, alert. And even though on a conscious level, I'm totally fine. I'm totally fine. But my body will react in a way that it's little T saying something doesn't feel right right now. Mm. Something familiar is, is making me really scared right now. And so really going back and doing that work. And it's hard because there's many layers to healing. And I have quite a few decades under my belt of mm. healing to go. And so even with my own children, so when I made this realization also, I was like, oh shit, (laughs) I've I've got two 20 year olds now. Mm. And I know that even though I was a good parent, I may have not been, I may not have been the greatest parent for them Mm. at the time. And so I've had to have really hard conversations with both my kids separately because they're two totally different 
you know, beings. I'm sure if you sat your sibling down next to you or my sibling down, our perspective and perception of how our childhood, it'd be totally different. Totally. And same thing with my kids. So asking them both the questions, where was I lacking in your life as a child? What do you remember? And hearing them both with such bravery and courage, speak it to me. Mm. So I could then say, okay, here's the tools to change that. And both of them said, you're modeling something different today. I said, I know that. Mm. However, you still got a little Casey and a little Joey living inside you. who's going to rock the boat too. So let's heal this now when you're 20 instead Mm. of when you're 40 something. So um, really doing that work. It's painful at times. And Mm. I'm telling you, little T, especially when we're about to up level our shit mm-hmm. and take <laughs> ourselves to new levels and you know, new levels, new devils is no no kidding. Mm-hmm. But little T, when we're about to go to a new level, like right now, she's been freaking out the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, every part of me wants to parent her like I was parented, like shut the F up. Because mm. that's easier, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, okay, little T, I feel you right now. I'm scared mm-hmm. too. And just being in partnership with that little girl or boy that lives inside of you, instead of just like shaming her into the corner, like she probably was. Mm. Right. So that's, so this brings up the, the midpoint of, so you're in it again and it's going to happen over and over and over because with every level, just like you said, so you're in that transition period. And especially if you have, and and I think all human beings, if you are a human, we have some really addictive patterns, some way more than others. So there's that point where you're in transition and it feels so much more comforting to go back. And it's almost like, you know, that midpoint when you're, you feel like you're falling backwards in this free fall and you, you're just like, are just trying to grasp on to the old way because that transition point is the not knowing. So how do you navigate the in between? Mm. Well, it's hard because my old ways is let's burn the house down and overcome something and mm. rise up from the ashes and be the Phoenix. Like that's Okay. Cause that path. works. Cause that, that can work. It does work, but mm-hmm. I wanted to grow without freaking drama, yes, right? There we and go. to identify that this was happening right now. I don't have to burn the boats. I don't have to, mm. you know, cause chaos. Like, cause that's what Lil T wants to do. Cause that's just, <laughs> I mean, when, when all, like when everybody's written you off and said, see, I told you that's what she's going to do. And then you get that rocket fuel of F you under you. It's way mm. easier to, to perform and go for it when everybody's counting you out. Right. Mm. But when you're in the, this middle of the transition and it's like, okay, it, it's a lot harder. Mm. It really, really is. And to just identify what's happening, what's little T saying, what's big T saying. I'm also very a hundred percent without question aware that when this is happening, that means there's something really amazing on the other side of this. Mm. And sometimes it means taking a little season of silence and really just being present in the moment. So the downloads from the divine can come in because if I'm, you know, so in the past with trauma, victimization, pain, regret, I'm going to miss the downloads. If I'm too worried and anxious about the future, I'm going to miss the downloads. It's only when we're absolutely present with whatever is right in front of you that the downloads can come. Mm and take effective action on them. And that's not always easy because I don't do well in the silence. Mm. I don't. However, I've learned that my greatest growth comes in those seasons. So 
embracing them and knowing that I don't have a timestamp of when that can, when that's going to expire. Cause I've mm. tried to negotiate with God before and be like, okay, I'll be silent for 30 days. And then you can just let <laughs> me do. know what the next plan is. Oh. And he's like, ha, ha. how about 11 months, little lady? And it's like, oh my gosh. So I've quit trying to negotiate and just like, if I'm present enough, I'll know when I hear the call, it says now, mm. now. And and that's what's happening to me right now. And it's scaring the shit out of me. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'm present so I can hear it, mm. right? It's when we've got so much distraction or too many events or too many coaches or too many of this or too many of that, we're going to miss the entire calling. Mm. So the season I'm in right now, and I've even tried the negotiating and it's not working. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Um, tell or me about the... <laughs> or it backfires, totally. Mm-hmm. Or you just like create something to grasp onto because you're like, maybe that's it. And you're like, no, that wasn't it. I'm really good at that one. Really good at that one. And then when you're in the middle of it, you're like, this wasn't it. Torture. (laughs) This is awful. Um, Tell me about what caused the 11 months of silence. Mm. So it was the end of, it was right when the Cubs won the World Series. So it was the end of 2016. And I was feeling really tired, Mm. like, over the top. I had been seeing a naturopath for a while, you know, the adrenal fatigue, the burnout. Like, I'm like, what, it's gotta be this. I'm working my ass off. Of course it's that, you know, and my spiritual health was really solid. Mm. So I was like, I'm good. I'm really good. And business was good. But I was like feeling like the more I did or the less I did, the worse it got. So I remember I I made a deal with God and said, okay, as soon as the Cubs win the World Series, I'm going to go off social media because maybe that's it. Maybe I just need to be present and be artsy, fartsy, crafty. I know you've been knitting. I was coloring, <laughs> drawing and doing really creative Pinteresty things. Mm-hmm. And I noticed at the end of 30 days, I got worse. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is it. And I, I had a few speaking things on my calendar and I was like, I'm not going to commit to any more. I need to figure out what's going on. Mm. And for the next six months, six months, I ended up bedridden. Mm. And my brain quit working. And it was May of 2017 that I had my will redone and my own funeral was being planned because I didn't think I was going to make it out. Mm. Um, I had what it felt like dementia. I was very like out of my own head. I was having panic attacks, like which I didn't have. Um, I couldn't be around people. I couldn't remember people's names. Like people that called me Aunt Tracy, I couldn't remember their names. And I I really thought I was out. And it wasn't until that moment that I I found a doctor that was, you know, more holistic that spent two and a half hours with me to go over my history. And we started to piece things together. And I had had breast implants put in Mm. uh, two years earlier. And I'd had them before, but I had had a swap out two years earlier. And it did the chemicals that were in it. Um, the, the new and improved isn't always new and improved mm. for an immune system. Let me tell you, because new and improved to me means more chemicals, right? Mm. And so the toxic overload of my body, I have a genetic disposition to this, that when anything synthetic is put in my body, it will react. Mm. And, you know, it was, my liver was already overflowing with toxins and it just couldn't fight anymore. So when I walked into that doctor's office after doing all sorts of tests, he's like, I don't know how you're still walking or wow. living. So my season of silence was a little bit forced because the protocol for the next six months was 
give me your calendar. You're going to be hooked up to IVs every day for the next 16 weeks. And I had nothing to do but to sit in a recliner, look out a window and just let God download whatever he had into me. It was scary. What came out of that for you now? I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Mm -hmm. However, that season was one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. Mm. It also told me, this was a huge part too. This is also what told me that our body is always sending us messages and signals. Um, For the longest time, you know, there's so much about mindset and like meditation, which is all really, really important. However, our body is always the driver, Mm. always, always trying to tell us something. So looking back, I was like, oh, okay. It was trying to tell me something there. It was trying to tell me something there, but I'm going to power through this. I'm going to mindset my way through this. Mm. And the next thing I know, body's like, yeah, peace out, Boy Scout, not happening. (laughs) And so I really learned to have an appreciation for my body, obviously with eating disorder histories, a history of eating disorder, uh, body image has always been a struggle for me. Mm. And I remember crying, being rolled into surgery to have the implants removed and all the scar tissue from both sets of implants. It was brutal. Like mm. I was on my bed going through that. So my recovery was very long and painful. But I remember crying, not because I was scared, but like having this conversation with my beautiful body and making that promise that I was never going to think or say anything shameful about it. And I thanked mm. my body for being so strong and powerful for fighting so hard for me to pull me through that. Mm. So what I've learned from that is like my body is always trying to tell me something. And like what I said earlier, um, there was a situation about six months ago. I was in the middle of a campground, you know, just having a fun time, sitting around the campfire, talking really fun stuff with a set of girls. And all of a sudden, my body started reacting to something. And like on a conscious level, I was like, what is happening right now? All of a sudden, I felt like I felt as a little girl, like the heart racing, the heat, the shaking. And I'm looking around. I'm like, girls, what is happening right now? What is happening right now? they're like, what? What do you mean? And I kid you not, Lori, 10 seconds later, two campgrounds over, a drunken brawl broke out. Wow. 10 seconds later. Mm -hmm. So my body was feeling that energy. So this whole thing about like all this energetic stuff, I, that wasn't even on my radar Mm -hmm. two years ago. And now I realize that every financial move I make is a spiritual decision. Everything I do is spiritual energy. Mm -hmm. And I am never going to ignore that is the driver. If my body says not today, then it's not today. And I don't try to override that. I don't try to just power through it because it's convenient. Mm. I listen. And it's like, okay, the body says no, then it's a no. Mm. How do you know the difference between fear for people who have not approached a lot of fear yet? You know, they haven't navigated it yet and what you're talking about. Because sometimes I think in the beginning or even at the end, I've had those moments where I'm like, I can't discern what this is right now. Mm-hmm. It takes radical honesty with yourself. It mm-hmm. takes sitting in front of a mirror, having that conversation. That's why that relationship I have with little T is so important. It's like, okay, are you afraid of something? Is this familiar? Mm-hmm. Is this something like really dialoguing with her? And if she isn't speaking to me and because I do it enough, I know when it's my own bullshit and fear mm-hmm. or her that I need to heal something with. And now more times than not, it's like, no, not now, not now. Mm. It's it's really, and and being really honest with myself, I'm like, okay, do I just not want to do this shit because it's scaring me? 
or am I afraid of rejection or, and that's all little T stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But something like just like, I don't want to do that workout today. Although I really want to be at a freaking fun spin class. My body is saying, no, take a Shavasana right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, oh, okay. And so that intuitive stuff, like intuitive eating, intuitive, intuitive working out, intuitive relationships into like, I'm the intuitive queen right now. Mm. And <laughs> it really am. It's like, okay, do I want to eat that? Nope. Do I want to talk to that person? Nope. And just really honoring that. Mm. And, you know, we talk, I, I listened to one of your podcasts about like tough love and, and I've been known as the queen of tough love. Mm. And I do think that it could be effective. Like you said on the podcast, it, I, it gets shit done sometimes. <laughs> However, if you grew up like I did in self-care, self-care and self-love, fall into the same category for me. My definition of love as a little child was I needed to be perfect in order to have it. So self-love means I need to be perfect, right? Mm. In that I need to be perfect. Self-care for me me meant uh, neglect and abandonment. Mm. Caring for me as a child meant neglect and abandonment. So if I'm going to self-care, I'm going to neglect and abandon myself. Yeah. So I've changed the word to honor because there's really no gray area with the word honor. So mm-hmm. every decision I make, whether it's for my body, my business, my mind, my soul, my relationship, is this self-honoring? Because if it's a no, then it's a no. Mm. Always. There's no gray area with what the word honor means. Oh, I love that word. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's a much friendlier, like, it's a loving word. It's like really a loving word. So finding, mm-hmm. I love that you talked about that, like finding the words that even fit because that's game changing. That's been huge for me. Okay. Just the language that oh you're using. God. I don't even use the word sorry. Like I don't ever say I'm sorry anymore because yeah. that's like shaming yourself. I'll, I will say I apologize because yeah. that's a verb, right? But Ooh, saying I good. am sorry is like, Thanks. that means you're sorry. You're yeah, a like, sorry, sorry for being you. That's how I feel. Right. Like, yeah, I just, it's funny. I just said that yesterday. I said, sorry to Chris for some reason. I'm like, you know what? I'm not sorry. And I'm like, okay, calm down, Lori. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we can do this with love. I'm not apologizing for being me. And then I was like, okay, calm down. All right. (laughs) So I want to chat about like, because everything that you're saying has to come, it comes from a place of needing a realization and needing to break a pattern, obviously. So the breaking of the pattern, because before this, before we started recording, we were just kind of chatting about how, you know, in everybody's lives, we listen to podcasts, we read the books, we take the courses, we hire more coaches, we want the certificate, we want the degree, whatever it is. And so often we're either, once we get it, we're not happy for some reason, or we're not able to complete it. Like we think we need more accountability or we think we need another thing. So how do you go to the root? What, what advice would you give on finding the root or figuring out the root? Oh my gosh. So like when we're triggered by somebody or something, Mm -hmm. or we're sabotaging someone, something, whatever, I often ask myself, and when I'm working with people, I'll take them like to the timeline, like go like the first time you heard this, saw this, this was modeled for you. There's something that happened before you were 10 that this was rooted in, Mm. right? So let's say somebody triggers me today and usually it's passive aggressive behavior Mm. that (laughs) triggers me like nobody's business. And it has, I don't like it. Me too. (laughs) I don't like it. And when I, when I'm getting triggered by somebody, which that's usually the thing that'll do it for me. 
I'm like, okay, Trace, where was the first time you saw this? Where did you hear this? How did you feel about it? Because it's never about that person Mm -hmm. ever. It's about something that happened. So to go back and said, you know what? That's not about you. That's not about you. I know it's kind of a backhanded thing that's going on. It's not about you. So taking it to the timeline and knowing that where we first heard it, it was modeled. And then what belief system did did you form as a result of that? Because mm. that's the only way you're going to get to the root. I mean, you can have a big, beautiful tree with lots of fruit and apples like we were talking about. But if it's not so deeply rooted, you know, a hurricane, a storm can come. And that thing can... I mean, we've lived in the Midwest. We've seen massive trees get knocked down. Mm-hmm. And it's because their roots weren't solid. So getting back to the roots of our family is so imperative. And I know... Like, I know you've done extensive work on this. I have too. It's never ending. Mm -hmm. And you realize the different um, intricacies of it. But when I am triggered today, which doesn't happen very much, but when it does like, oh, there's another little (laughs) lesson to learn about myself. Yep, Yep, me too. And I get excited. I get excited. (laughs) I'm like, okay, where are we going to dig now? What, Mm. like, we're going to dig this thing up now. Mm. And sometimes like sometimes roots grow into your house and the foundation Mm. and you got to dig them up and pull them out and, and let them go. Mm. You do. So I, I work on that and being willing to go there. You don't stay in the shit of it. Like, you know, letting that shit go is really important, Mm -hmm. but if you got to heal it first, you really got to heal it first. Otherwise we're just masking it with some kind of stuff, whether it's shopping or relationships or you know, success, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to mask it with something unless we heal it. Mm. And healing, and some so, healing yeah. can take a long time. Some healing can be fast, right? Have you had, have you had both in your life? Oh, for sure. Like even realizing that the first time I heard that I'm where I felt I'm not good enough was connected to that one sentence my dad said mm. on the day I was born. I was like, holy mother of God, that is huge. Mm. One sentence. Like I've had abuse in my life too. And that one sentence had more of an impact than the other kind of abuse I had had at, you know, at my expense. One sentence Mm. and really having that awareness and then knowing every time I'm feeling not good enough, it's just boom, just go into a conversation with her and it's pretty quickly fixed. Mm. Like it doesn't mean it doesn't come up, but I can nip it in the bud like within seconds now. So it's just that willingness to go there. Mm. What's been something for you that um, is like a repeating? You're like, I thought this was healed, but it's not. And how do you deal oh. with it? Oh, girl. And this is where you come to play. My issues with women mm. um, and moms, in mm. fact. In my season of silence, when I was coming out of the other side of it, when I knew I was going to survive, I had three things on my list. Because what I noticed in that experience was... I looked around and there was nobody there. Mm. And that was self-inflicted. That mm. was completely self-inflicted. I had pushed every person away. I have really good friends. Mm. And I was like, holy crap, I did this to myself. And so when I knew I was going to survive, I'm like, I need to do things different when it comes to women. Mm. And you know, sitting in that chair, I was able to really go back in the timeline and understand why my relationship with women was because of my mom Mm. and the way she abandoned me, you know, emotionally. And so one of the things on my list was to get to the bliss, the bliss event. Mm. There's nothing like 500 women in one room. (laughs) Making you hug them. Like like that's (laughs) torture for this girl. (laughs) You know, because my perception of what women would 
the role women played in my life is if you let them close enough, they will hurt you and abandon you. Yes. And every every woman that had come my way from that moment till that recliner was pretty much being judged by me for that. Mm. And that wasn't there. And I knew that wasn't true. I knew that wasn't true. That was little T. I'm like, okay, we're changing this up. So I got to your event and, you know, I've got not just a mom, but a stepmom now Mm. married to my dad. And recently I've had some experiences now with her. And this is where like this, this work doesn't stop. She rejected me in a way that was so painful Mm. even today. Mm. And like on a surface level, a conscious level, I'm actually okay. Like I get it, logically understand it. It'll get fixed at some point. Yet the the dagger to this little girl's that heart that lives in me, I heard her voice say, wow, we've had two moms reject us. Mm. What's wrong with you? And instead of judging women for what those two women had done to little T, I reached out to my power team, my circle and let the women lift me up, mm. which is not something I do. I'm usually the strong one. And I called on my girls. I'm like, listen, I need you to hold me up right now because this is this is painful. This hurts. This hurts really bad. Mm. I will recover. I'm going to let my heart break and I will recover. But right now, I just need some strength to hold me mm. up. And so that whole dynamic, it doesn't mean people aren't going to hurt us. Mm-hmm. But I don't mean to let every woman carry that burden of those two women that were very important to me, are very important to me. And so I was like, even though I was in pain, I'm like, I'm so proud of myself right now. I reached out to my <laughs> I let women hold me up. It was so mm-hmm. great. And how um, was and, that letting go, that letting go experience of like, mm-hmm. I didn't know that we were both going to be crying today, but this is great. <laughs> <laughs> how was that experience of leaning into those women? Like what? Cause there's a lot of conversation in your mind that comes up when you're allowing that. So I was really scared to do it. Mm. And I also knew how destructive I could go if mm. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I know what I'm capable of mm. and I know how two moms rejecting me could really do a number on me. And I know what I could do to not feel that. Mm. And so leaning into these amazing women, I know you've talked about this. Like I have different friends for different things too. Yeah. Like I don't have one friend for everything. Mm-hmm. And I know you have the same thing. And I know I have this friend for that, this friend for that, this one for that. And I've got about four of them. And what I found was not only did it feel good to be held up for the first time in my life by a woman, mm like the first time ever. But I also saw the gift I was giving them by allowing them to do it. Mm. And to know I had been robbing beautiful women in my entire life from that. Mm. I was like, okay, like this is a gift I give them to be there for me. Mm-hmm. And they don't perceive me as weak or, or incapable or anything, but loving me. They love me without condition and they're actually feeling empowered by me allowing them to do that, especially me. Like all of them said, like, we've been waiting for this mm. <laughs> from, from you. I'm like, ah! like, I just like, Ugh. it's so great. Like little T was embraced for the first time in her mm. life by a woman. Mm. And it felt amazing. Mm. Thank mm. you so much for sharing that. I can't tell you how much I resonate with that because it's still, that's, if you ask me still what mine was, it's still that. 
still that over and over. So just even hearing you share that is such a good reminder for me to like, to lean even more, like release even more because just hearing you and even watching your body language, as you said it, like there's like a release. It's just like, a, it's so light afterward. It's like, you can't get that anywhere else. You can't. And, you know, cause my kids are older, mm-hmm. like I dialogue a lot of this stuff with them so they can watch me navigate that our hearts are still going to get broken and we do recover. Like me holding back in the world will rob me of joy. It doesn't mean it will be without pain. And so them watching me navigate that whole process mm-hmm. is also changing the pathology of not just my kids, but my my grandkids, my great grandkids, like the shit stopped with me and, Mm. you know, somebody's got to go first. And I know you're doing this work too. And moms and women, like we need to have this stop with us Mm -hmm. because we will pass this stuff down. Mm -hmm. Even no matter what kind of coaching we get like out there, like you gotta, you gotta stop this with you. And it means like walking that talk. So my kids have actually been watching this whole process. And, and I've also noticed that because they're older, I wouldn't do this if they're like young and burden them with that. But I mean, I've got adulting children mm-hmm. right now and letting them hold me up as well. My mm-hmm. son, like allowing him to be the man of our house and letting him hold me up has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Not just for me, but like I see his whole, like everything change mm-hmm. by like, yes, I can be there for my mom in a healthy way, mm-hmm. not in a burdensome way or like, caring that. Um, but he's even talked, he's like, thank you for allowing me to be there for you mm-hmm. and showing me what this looks like. Mm. Wow. It's crazy, crazy powerful. Mm. I think for so many people, and I think majority of the people who listen to this podcast are such like, I can do it. I muscle through it. You know, they want to just be the powerhouse, the type A, the, and it just, it's not sustainable. And we'll even try to put like frosting on it and like make it look really cute. But it's like what's underneath that cookie's going to crumble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was the queen of the power through and, Mm. you know, I heard suck it up millions of times as a child, as a child, millions, suck it up, suck it up. And that's like, suppress it, suppress Mm -hmm. it, suppress it until you explode. Mm -hmm. Right. It, It will explode. So yeah, it's, I mean, although my heart's still breaking, it is like, it's going to take time to heal from this last one Mm. and I'm recovering, you know, I'm all, I mean, we're all in recovery from something Mm -hmm. we are had trauma. You know, I know you've had Mastin on the show. Like I love the work he does because Mm -hmm. everything in your life, the trauma that you've experienced in one sentence, one sentence was traumatic, you know, and I've, I've worked with people like, well, my abuse wasn't as bad as hers. I'm like, my one sentence is as powerful as the sexual abuse that you endured. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry, but it is Mm -hmm. because it changes everything from there moving forward. So, you know, for anybody out there, you know, I work with a lot of people who've gone through masterminds and business coaching and, and I love all of it. I do it too. I think it's great. However, the real reason of my success is the willingness to do this work too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because success won't mask it because it'll show up in a different, more expensive way. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got different overhead and and all sorts of stuff. It will show up. Trust me. You can't keep mm-hmm. kicking the can down the street. You'll catch up to it for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. Um, so what is something that you want to leave people with or that we haven't covered or that you're obsessed with sharing right now? You know, just be willing to go there, 
to some of the painful places. And when, when we go there, it doesn't mean we stay there. We go there long enough to, to feel it because you got to feel it in order to deal with it and you got to deal with it in order to heal with it, heal it. And so, you know, one of those things that I do is like, okay, this hurts. We're going to go feel it for a second. We're not going to stay in the shit long enough to name the flies or anything like that, mm-hmm. but we have to <laughs> go and revisit it. We have be willing to revisit the painful parts of your, your life. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And to know that your pain isn't your purpose. Like, like I said earlier, like if you think your pain is your purpose, you're going to keep seeking pain in order to find your purpose. And that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Be willing to revisit the pain so you can heal it mm. and, and make a better difference in the world, especially if you're in the, the coaching field or the wellness field or anybody that you're a mentor for somebody. Because of this work is why I'm untouchable. I know this. I know that's why I'm so good at what I do because anybody that works alongside me knows that I get it and I understand them. And I really, no matter how much success I have or will have or, or anything, I'm still a human being at the end of the day who's experienced trauma and pain mm-hmm. and is still working through it. Mm-hmm. And I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. And there's something about compassion for yourself and for other people going through it that really makes the world a better place, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really, really does. And having that level of compassion is really important. Mm-hmm. Tracy, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, how in the hell did that go by? Um, I know. But, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll start like a four-hour podcast and then I can talk as yeah. much as I want to people. <laughs> hey, people do it. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. All right. So I'm so grateful for you. And I want to I want to make sure that people know where they can hear more of your wisdom or get more Tracy or where do we find you? Mm-hmm. Follow you. Follow me on Instagram, Tracy underscore O'Malley. And on Facebook too, but a lot of the good stuff, the daily God shots I throw down and mm. my my golden nuggets will probably be on Instagram stories and things like that. But I'm all about helping people recover because mm. we all deserve it. We all deserve to live a, a great life mm. and make the impact in the world we desire. And this is the only way to really do it and feel fulfilled by it. Mm. Thank you so much for this conversation. I swear, like, it doesn't matter how much of this work you do, you can talk about it and it lightens something more every single time. So to have that person to process with or do that work with. So you guys go um, find and follow Tracy. And I always end on one last question. Are you ready? Okay. Yep. Okay. So you're in an elevator. I guess you don't even need to be in an elevator, but it's a 30 second, it's a 30 second, 30 seconds with a stranger. Um, I don't know why that sounds funny to me right now, but (laughs) they look over and they ask you, how can I make myself happy? What do you say? Mm, I say, know that whoever or whatever has been put in front of you or you've experienced, realize that it's a gift to learn and love more about yourself to make a bigger difference in the world. Mm. So beautiful. And you guys, if you loved this podcast as much as I did, make sure that you text it to a friend or you share it with a friend because it's truly a way to offer somebody a gift. So until next time, earn your happy. Bye everyone. 
Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, y'all. I'm so excited to share with you, Earn Your Happy is now part of Growth Day Podcast Network. A bunch of us are coming together to bring more growth to the world and support shows and brands that we truly believe in. And one of my friends is also on the network, and I'd love for you to go subscribe to his show. You guys, Trent Shelton has the most incredible podcast. It's called Straight Up with Trent Shelton, and it's going to remind you that you are built for this. I have heard Trent speak in person multiple times. I've listened to his podcast a ton. He's coming on the show and I literally cannot wait because this man just spits straight fire. It is like truth that goes to your core and makes you take action right away. If you want one of those podcasts that when you're just out on a walk, you can't help but want to start running and run through a wall in your life, this is the show to go listen to. So you guys make sure that you go subscribe to the show straight up with Trent Shelton. You're going to love it. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community and everyone is talking about the power of community. Without an online community, you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement, which is what I know that we're all after. And you can build trust or monetize your audience. When you get community right, not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody gonna be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to Circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so 
you can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14 day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Hey, I know if you're listening to this podcast that you have big dreams and big goals. And one of the things that can really stop you is struggling with your marketing. Trust me, I have been there. Are you using 10 different systems just to build your online business? Then I want you to try Kajabi. Kajabi helps you build your web pages, set up funnels, and sell your courses, content, coaching, or communities. You've been hearing me talk a lot about funnels on this podcast and the importance of your email list. You can get a free trial at kajabi.com. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com. I've talked about Kajabi before, but here's something that's super cool and new. They just rolled out an AI assistant for creating your online course curriculum. And this means you just type in a topic that you want to create on a course or webinar and bam, it just generates a sample outline for you. It takes a ton of the hard work away. Of course, you're going to customize it to be your own, but this really helps you get over the struggle of how in the world to start which is where most people stop. If you're like me, starting is always the hardest part and that's what makes Kajabi so popular. They've made it easier for creators to build web pages, build courses, build coaching programs, build membership sites, build checkout pages, and build email funnels. So if you're struggling with any of those, you gotta go check it out. Go to kajabi.com. Kajabi was really the first all-in-one system and is trusted by over 100,000 creators. I think that's good enough for me. Also as influencers and marketers use this and now their smart ai platform makes it easy to take what you know and turn it into an online course and business go start building with a free trial at kajabi.com that's k-a-j-a-b-i.com